Hey, good morning all. Welcome to the Common Good Podcast. It's Wednesday, May 10th. And on Wednesdays, we talk about issues of faith and the common good. And uh, couldn't be more excited than to talk about God Breathed today. Uh, not only the notion and concept, uh, but the book written by Zach Hunt. So, uh, hey, Zach, good to have you with us today. It's good to be on. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, life goal for us, my friend, as I told you. Life goal <laughs> for us around here. Hey, I'm in Minneapolis. I look out my window. It's sunny. It's going to be 76 degrees today in Minneapolis on May 10th. Can, can you imagine? And That's Dan amazing. there is in, is in Michigan. Dan, how are things looking in Michigan? It's beautiful. It's finally feeling like spring, which is much needed. Mm. Big big Mother's Day warm-up uh, coming. <laughs> and Zach, you're in Nashville. I am. It's sunny and I think 83 today, which is which is nice. 83 you know, already. It's going to be yeah. 83. It's not 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 at this 9 a.m. hour though. Uh, no, I think we're still in the 70s. Um, but give it a month and it'll be 83 at seven in the morning. Now, Zach, right. have you been impacted at all by the last few days of Taylor Swift takeover of the city of Nashville? Or you know, I thought she was coming in for my book signing, and so when she didn't show up, I was I was pretty disappointed about that. <laughs> Real um, miffed, yeah, yeah. I was like, I can't. You know, it's hard not to take that sort of thing personally. But no, I, I think me and most folks uh, stayed as far away from downtown Nashville uh, right. as we possibly could. <laughs> yeah, because not not only was it a lot of people, I'm sure, going to the concert full arena. Eighty percent of them had to be dropped off by somebody else, right? So there was like parents bringing kids, and that just adds a, you know, adds a third to the the number of people attending the. And like right. tens of thousands of people just hung out outside, right? Like I saw that bridge, that pedestrian bridge next to the stadium, just full of people oh, yeah. just hanging out for the concert. Wow. Yeah, so right across the river from the concert is like the big tourist area, uh, Lower Broadway, 2nd Avenue. And so it's nonstop bachelorette parties, you know, 24-7. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. it was also graduation weekend for most of the major schools. So it was graduations, and then Janet Jackson, I think, was in town on Thursday, and then Taylor was here all weekend, and then obviously my book signing, which, you know, yeah. a lot of people can't do. Um, but yeah, no, it was it was a madhouse uh, downtown. I did not go anywhere near it. Yeah. Tremendous. Well, congratulations to all the things that are Nashville. It's doing well. Peggy, <laughs> uh, Peggy in Michigan, telling us 75 Yabits over there in Marietta, Georgia, and so others that are uh, in, in um, the chat. Let us know what's uh, what's happening in your place. All right. Hey, Zach, uh, I've been following you for a long time. I don't want to be a creeper or anything and sort of let this out, but there was a time when I thought Twitter was enjoyable. <laughs> and Twitter was a positive force for the world. And one of the things I enjoyed most ever about opening my Twitter app was was your your humor there. So <laughs> you, let me just say thank you. thanks for the good old days. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I haven't followed it as closely now because I just my heart is too dark to be <laughs> lurking around those places. Um, but uh, you you really, I, I'm not going to ask you to say something funny because you're funny, but it really, you, you really do have a, a wit uh, about you and you've written a book. So I haven't had a chance to read that entirety of that book yet. Only glance at portions of it, uh, in God breathed. Is it the Twitter Zach hunt? Is it that same kind of insightful, witty, humorous, uh, pleasant, you know, uh, take on the world? Uh, is, is that the style that's, that's most, most in it or is it a different style for you? Um, you know, I like to think that it's one of the great pieces of literature of our time. Um, <laughs> if not one of the great comedic achievements of the last decade. So in that sense, yes. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I try to be cognizant of that, um, you know, of trying to maintain, you know, a, a similar voice across platforms. And then, you know, for me just personally, uh, it it's really important for me to take, you know, what I've learned in the classroom with, you know, my fancy degrees and years spent there and, and try to present that in a way that is um, not just accessible, but engaging. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of really good work that's done in the academy and that comes out of the academy, um, but never gets read because it's written, you know, for the academy. And so, um, you know, I've always found like humor to be uh, really helpful in disarming folks uh, before, you know, you tackle difficult conversations and, uh, you know, telling people that the Bible isn't perfect um, and then it's flawed and all those sorts of things uh, can certainly um, fire up, 
the emotions of some people. And so, yeah, no, there's, there's definitely humor in there uh, for sure. If you, uh, I mean, like one of my chapters is entitled cussing for Jesus. Um, and so, you know, if, if bad dad jokes are your thing, then uh, hopefully God <laughs> will be right up your alley. Nice. All right. So, so the subtitle uh, f- for the book, God breathed is what it really means for the Bible to be divinely inspired. A- and this phrase is a, is an important one in Christian theology. Some people know, know that, you know, that it, most of it comes from this passage out of Second Timothy uh, 3.16, is it? For all scripture mm-hmm. is God-breathed and therefore profitable for correction, teaching, training, and righteousness. Memorize that like in 1983. That was one of the passages that in the tradition of Christianity that I uh, entered into as a teenager was important, right? The, it was like step one, make sure you recognize that the Bible is the authority is the important thing, right? Like you had to to sort of start there because a whole lot of things were going to come out of, were going to come from there in the, in the theological evangelical world that, that I was in. And and maybe it's been similar for you, which is why, why you're taking this on. And and a lot of sharp-minded people uh, like you have said that phrase, God breathed, that's a curious phrase and probably doesn't mean God said everything that is written in the Bible. And yet Many people believe that what that means and how one should understand the Bible is that every word in it is intended by God and given from God and spoken by God. And just my sister-in-law the other uh, two nights ago, we were talking about things and faith and politics and the world, and she's not uh, in the Christian tradition, but was raised in it. And she's like, oh yeah, my parents. And I, I mean, they all just like having arguments about whether everything in the Bible is spoken by God. And I'm like, it was written by people. Maybe it was inspired. Like, this is a real conversation that, that, that people are having. And that's, that's, that's what's brought you to write this book. Is it that, you know, that this is actually something that's not just a theological or, you know, sort of academic conversation, but is actually something re- real people struggle with because it impacts their relationships and their family and God and belief and, and all kinds of things. Absolutely. You know, I, I think we came out of similar, you know, traditions. I definitely came out of, uh, you know, conservative evangelical uh, branch of Christianity. And, you know, I was lucky not to be being over the head too much with fundamentalism at a, a good local church, you know, that I grew up in. But, you know, the the presumption was that the Bible was, um the word of God, you know, as the church has historically professed it, but you know, what that means to different is different to, to different people. I, you know, I, I think the ultimate problem is, is not just, you know, the way that we revere the Bible. Not what I talk about in the first chapter about the book of idolatry, but it's really more how we excise ourselves out of um, the conversation of scripture of how we use the Bible. And so, because we have deigned it, you know, the word of God, what we, end up doing is just using that as a placeholder for God. And so the Bible is God. And so when I'm quoting the Bible, I'm not telling you what I think, you know, or what I believe or what I think you should do. I'm telling you what God says, you know? And so what we end up doing is putting ourselves in the place of God, you know, as arbiter of truth and justice and, you know, the American way. Um, and so, you know, I, I remember distinctly a conversation that I had with uh, a pastor once, you know, trying to understand, you know, Theonoustos is this, you know, like you said, wonky word. It only appears this one time um, in the New Testament and and really the entire Bible. Um, and, you know, what does it mean? You know, everybody agrees, you know, in, in the church that it means that the Bible is inspired. But once you get to the nuts and bolts of well, what does inspiration actually look like, mm. you know, that's where it gets tricky. And he said, you know, the problem is once we start, you know, getting too specific there that, you know, we end up in heresy. And that just sounded like an invitation, you know, for me. Um, totally. <laughs> heresy and so so i went exploring um you know i if, if the way i was taught you know to understand the bible was uh to look at context and um like we said there's no particular context you know specific for this verse it's kind of like paul just assumes timothy knows what he's he's talking about when he says theonoustos because he doesn't you know really explain it he just says it is you know it's it's god breathed um and there's nothing else in that letter to timothy and there's not really anything in the new testament that uses that again um, but the Bible begins with God-breathedness. Um, yeah. In the very beginning, God takes dirt and and breathes into it the breath of life and makes people. Um, and so I use that as a guide and say, okay, well, what does that say um, about what it means to be God-breathed? And, well, people aren't perfect, and people aren't perfect. Maybe the Bible isn't perfect either because people wrote the Bible. 
And what's curious about that phrase and that passage is it was in a letter describing Scripture that already existed. It wasn't yet Scripture when Paul was talking about this. And so it sort of retroactively, like we made it about itself, like a sort of this Correct. circular argument of like, well, see, Paul said uh, it's God-breathed, and so even the thing he just said is God-breathed. Like that, even as like a high schooler reading that and learning about it, never quite made sense. Um, Absolutely. Are there other arguments outside of that passage that people cling to when it comes to uh, the whole of Scripture being God-breathed or inerrant? Sure. Um, You know, the inerrancy tends to be further out, you know, and ends up being a lot of circular reasoning. Well, the Bible's true because it says so, or this is true because the Bible says so sort of thing. Um, you know, you would, people would point certainly to Jesus and he talks about like, you know, uh, not one letter of the law will pass away. Or uh, Peter talks about Paul's letters being understood, you know, in some sense, you know, as scripture, um, you know, and then there's the very, um, you know, passage that seems very literal where God, uh, gives the law, you know, to uh, Moses in the Old Testament. And, I mean, that seems very obvious. Like, oh, well, this is, you know, the word of God. God is speaking. God speaks to the prophets. You know, God speaks in, in Revelation. And so you can take all of those passages um, and strip them of all context and, you know, uh, of all, you know, tradition and meaning and, and things like that and say, well, this proves, um, you know, that the Bible was written by God. But again, you end up with with two major problems. You know, one is the circular reasoning, um, you know, which is employed over and over and over and over again. Um, but then there's the other of, of what you just kind of alluded to is is the anachronism, you know, of trying to use passages in the Bible to prove that the Bible is X, Y, or Z. When when those passages were written, there was no such thing as the Bible. Yeah. You know, um, and and so you know, those are the two biggest things. You know, two biggest hurdles because the Bible does not make claims of perfection. If anything, it says, you know, we or Paul says, you know, we have these treasures in jars of clay that are broken and brittle, or we see through a mirror dimly. Um, you know, and so for me, I think the Bible screams the opposite. Um, you know, judges. Uh, in those days, there was no yeah. king of Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes, and then they go and put words in God's mouth. So, um, yeah, there's 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 not as much evidence biblically as as the inerrantists would would like you to believe. All right. So, so one part of the, any argument discussion about this is, okay, what doesn't it mean, right? And I have spent many an hour. Uh, trying to articulate what it doesn't mean. And you've done it so well here, and I'm sure you've done it well in the book. It it doesn't mean what um, my friends in Islam mean when they say that um, the Quran, you know, is the very word of right. God, right? Because that's a different narrative. It's like, no, that was, right. that was given from the divine to the prophet and then written down. It's not even what my Mormon friends say about the, the, the scriptures that are teachings that are used in... Latter-day Saints Mormonism. It's maybe not even what some Jews think about how the Torah was given, right? right. And, and in Christian theology, we do this other kind of thing, you know, and there's people and it's a collection of books. So there's a lot of things that it's not. It's it's not, right. not that. But I don't think you wrote a book to tell people what it's not. Like, I think you're getting at something here, that there's a better notion that we actually find in this idea God breathed and that there's the breath of the divine that kind of comes into life. And so this subtitle, what does it really mean? It's more than just what it doesn't mean, right? Absolutely. You know, I think the mistake with looking at this passage specifically or just talking, you know, inerrancy or inspiration in general is, is getting bogged down in literary mechanics um, you know, it, it's easy to say that, like you just said, like the Bible didn't drop from heaven one day, you know, um, or, you know, the most Christian traditions, at least we don't believe that God, you know, physically, uh, manipulated the pen of the authors or verbally dictated. Some folks do, 
Um, you know, that's certainly uh, out there in Christian fundamentalism. Uh, but, you know, the, the question I really, like you said, I'm digging at is, is well, what really is inspiration? You know, what mm-hmm. does it mean to be inspired and why does that even matter? Um, because I think the mistake that we've made is that we've looked at inspiration as a justification or a license to use the Bible however we want. And so that because scripture is inspired and because it's useful for correction and, you know, whatever else we want it to be, um, then we can take God and use God however we want to marginalize, to oppress, to suppress, to quiet, you know, mm-hmm. to damn whoever it is we want, you know, to damn to hell. Because again, you know, we take ourselves out of the equation, but I don't think that that's what inspiration is about at all. Because, you know, again, if we go to scripture and look at this concept of of the spirit, you know, of the spirit going into things, of the, mm-hmm. of the spirit of God breathing out the what the Old Testament. And I'm going to be- butcher my Hebrew here, but the ruach of God um, is the word that's used in Hebrew to describe that breath of God that goes um, into the dirt that creates people. It's that same breath, that ruach that splits the Red Sea and lets the people go across the dry land. It's the same ruach that goes into the valley of dry bones that Ezekiel sees, you know, come come back to life. It's the same ruach that goes into the tomb on Easter Sunday. Um, and it's the ruach that's in our, 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 our lungs. And so what I try to argue is that the inspiration is not this um, mystical literary mechanic, but it's this, this act of, it's a life giving act that the spirit is about giving life. And so that we have been in dwelled with the spirit and spirited is a word that I make up for the book. Um, but God has breathed life and love into us so that we can go so that in that inspiration, we can go and breathe out that life and love to others so that essentially we are inspired and spirited mm-hmm. so that we can go and inspire or inspired others with that same love um, and life, which to me is the whole point of the Bible. It, it's supposed to be the source of, of love and life and hope. And, and we've turned it into a weapon of death. Yeah. Inspirited. Is that your word? Is that a word that uh, other people I, use? There's a good chance I read it somewhere. Um, but I, I, uh, I like it. I definitely just kind of made it up as I was going along. I'm like this, this really rolls off the tongue really well. Yeah. And it'll probably make into the lexicon of the English language very soon. I, I, I would imagine it, that, that little passage that inspired all of this, uh, conversation that, in that letter to Timothy, the second letter to Timothy, Second Timothy three sixteen. For those who want to look it up in their own Bible app, it says that all that stuff, right? The 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 notion that Scripture is God breathed and useful for correction, uh, training in righteousness, and rebuking and correcting, and all this, so that it says something like so that so it prepares people for every good work, right? Right, which I. I mean, if you take sort of three parts of that whole that that whole passage, right? What does the God breathed phrase mean? I've always really centered around that word. It's useful for it. Like it's not perfect or anything, but it's good enough. You know, like you can use yeah. it for that. It's you know, it's got some it's got some functionality. This God breathed right. thing is useful, good enough to make these things. So th- for a purpose, like right. even even that passage. You can just be real preachy for a second. Even that passage isn't trying to say, let me describe to you the importance of Scripture. It's trying to say this Scripture has a function, a usefulness to help people do common good works in the world, right? And it's just shocking how much people are like, well, you know, I, I would love to do good works, but I really can't. You know, the Bible really holds me back. I'd love to be welcoming. <laughs> I'd love to be inclusive. But, you know, that thing's just, I got a burden on my shoulders uh, called the my belief in the scriptures, you know. And if, if God, you know, would free me up a little bit, I'd sure do it. But I'm bound up. It's like Freaky Friday opposite with this stuff. Like the whole point is usefulness and good works. Absolutely. You know, it goes back to that idea of, you know, why have we been inspired? Um, you know, and, and it's to find for me, it's to find you know new and creative ways to love and welcome our neighbor each and every day, and and that's not just you know hippie liberal Zach talking. Um, you know, that's that's Jesus, and and I realize I'm doing the same thing. You know that we talked about before, where people are like it's not just me, and that's that's intentional. You know, I, a lot a lot of what I'm trying to do is reappropriate. You know, the things that I was. Uh, brought up with and and told and that were used to separate and divide and use them to be more inclusive. And, 
you know, for me, you know, uh, my theology begins and ends with with Jesus because Jesus is is who I'm. I still am fascinated with Jesus is who I want to embody. Jesus is who I follow. Um, you know, and so when I'm building my fundamentals of the faith, you know, my foundations, I, I start there. And so I look at Jesus and I say, well, what was fundamental to Jesus? You know, what was the foundation? And luckily, I don't have to like really search for that because other people during his day asked him the exact same question. What's the most fundamental part of the law? What's the most fundamental thing that we're supposed to be as the people of God? And Jesus said, um, you know, there's two great, there's the greatest command is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, um, mind, and strength. And there's love your neighbor as yourself. Um, and then he goes on and says, you know, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And we usually, you know, kind of gloss over that last bit, particularly those of us in the Christian tradition, because, you know, we live under law, you know, or we live under grace, no longer under law. Um, but like we talked at the beginning, you know, we have to be careful of, you know, an anachronism here because he's, uh, he's specifically obviously talking about the law and prophets, but really what he's saying is, is scripture. You know, he's saying all of scripture, you know, has to be, interpreted and understood through this call to love. You know, otherwise we're just a clanging gong, you know, and, and banging cymbals and nobody wants to hear us. And this is something Augustine picks up and kind of sharpens a little bit. Um, if I can say that Augustine sharpens Jesus. And um, he, he brings this up in his book uh, on Christian theology. And he says, and this is just me paraphrasing. He says, you know, it doesn't matter how great you think your exegesis is, you know, how wonderful your, uh, you know, Greek translations are or how many proof texts you have, you know, if your interpretation or your reading of a, a biblical passage, no matter how clear or plain you think it is, doesn't lead you to love God and neighbor, then you're wrong, like period. And, and that's not yeah. just Augustine, again, that, that's Jesus. And so for me, when I, when I bring those, you know, set that as my foundation, um, but also as my finish line, then the Bible is useful in a very specific way. And that's for me to begin to let the spirit um, inspire me to imagine new ways to love people that that need love. Yeah, that sounds inspiring to me. Like the freedom within that—that that we're not bound by this list of rules, but we're mm-hmm. interpreting everything through Jesus and through love. But that can be kind of disorienting or scary for other people that really Absolutely. want. Uh, I just want to know what's right, what's wrong. I don't want to have to think about it or like contextualize it. What do you say to those people that uh, when you say that the Bible isn't this rule book that isn't black and white, uh, what do you say to them to kind of comfort them and uh, guide them into this more uh, embrace of mystery and view through love? I would say that it's both that if you would like, you know, if you need um, guidelines and black and whiteness, the Bible is black and white. Your call above all others is to love your neighbor and to love God. And that is firm and that is unequivocal. Um, and is it is on judgment day, how Jesus describes, he will separate the sheep and goats. And it's based on how you love your neighbor. Now the, the tricky part comes in with how you do that. Um, you know, and the, the, the honest answer is there's no easy answer to that. You know, there is no simple guidelines. You know, I think the fundamental problem with Protestantism in general, um, and then evangelicalism, you know, in particular, is that we've reduced Christianity to a zero-sum game, that I am saved by faith alone. And so what that's come to mean is that I am saved by right beliefs. And if I believe the, the right list of things, then I get to go to heaven and don't have to go to hell. And so inerrancy is an incredibly important part of that equation because mm-hmm. if your entire salvation is based on believing the right things, you need a book that's perfectly perfect, you know, with all the right ideas. And so that's why it's so scary to pull this card out from that house of cards just because it does come falling down. But like that's, that's the challenge, I think, of the Christian faith is that, that Jesus doesn't make any promises that this is going to be easy or this is comfortable. I mean, if anything, he says, take up your cross you know, and follow me. The way is narrow. I mean, everything about Jesus's description of Christianity is is challenging and scary, um, but it's also liberating. I think because again, if if our guidelines are love your neighbor, um, then it opens up all sorts of possibilities. You know, and, and it should open up all sorts of wonderful ways to come together because there's space inside of that kind of church for people who believe that Jesus physically rose from the dead, and there's space in that church for people who believe that Jesus resurrection was a metaphor for something because we can love our neighbors 
in either in either case. And so, yeah, if you want hardcore hardcore rules and guidelines, love your neighbor. Um, if you want freedom, <laughs> you got that too. Um, but but yeah, I, I think you know we have been conditioned to believe that we have been presented or sold a, a form of faith that is easy. Um, that is that is it's a consumer product. You know, Christianity has been commodified. It's something that you can go and buy a sticker or a T-shirt and then go to church and experience worship service, say magic prayers, and then you've got everything um, figured out. And, and that was never the Christian life. Um, and so, yeah, it is scary. Um, but, you know, to that I say you're not alone. You know, I, I, I wrote a book about it. I don't know. I, 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 this is me working out my faith in, in real time. I don't have all the answers. I'm still figuring this out. I hope at 80 years old, I'm still figuring things out, you know? Um, so yeah, the, love is really the guideline, but I, I think if we, if we can take the invitation that the spirit gives us, it opens us up to creative possibilities and relationships with people that, that we never thought possible. Zach, one of the frequent listeners to this live stream and podcast is a, is a yogi and she thinks a lot about breath and the power of breath. Mm. So there's no chance she's going to hear God breathed and not think on the breath side of that, right? I she's going to only think on the God side because the yoga tradition offers this way of people thinking about the power of breath. There was this old campaign um, uh, for some public service campaign of some variety that where the phrase was, uh, if you can't breathe, nothing else matters, right? Mm. And then we've all seen uh, horrible scenes of police officers choking people and them and them dying. We have seen uh, times when breath can't be found. So breath is really essential, right, to the human to the human experience. Is that part of why you think this God breathed notion is so powerful for people? Because there's almost nothing as literally human and close to a person as as breath. I love that. You know, to be honest, I had not thought about that, but now I'm going to steal it and run with it for I all my other podcasts. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> but it's perfect because, you know, I think it opens up a door. You know, we talk a lot about, you know, being creatures made in the image of God, you know, and learning to see God in others. If we're really, if our lungs are filled with the very breath of God, with the Ruach of God, then what better connecting image but like actual physical reality is there that connects us as one people than than the breath that we breathe i love that i think that's great yeah. I, I bought a thing the other day a little bluetooth speaker dealio and it came with instructions and there were lots of buttons on it. it's kind of a complicated one and the instructions were all in pictures <laughs> like it was like an ikea thing you know like <laughs> oh my gosh right so frustrating, right? Trying to figure out the pick, and you just got to spend time with the thing, right? Is how it basically yeah. works. And you push enough buttons, and you kind of interpret the pictures, and you're kind of feeling it out. And ultimately, I got it. And I was saying to myself, I just wish they would just write this thing out with somebody that knows as a technical writing degree, so I can figure it out. That's a real impulse in people as well. So I can see why people want to turn to something they think is important, like the scripture of their religion, and not be told, what you've got here is some pictures of how yeah. to live, and you spend a little time with it, and you spend a little time with your life, and you'll kind of poke around, and you'll you'll find the groove, and you'll find the vibe, and you'll start to, to get with it, and it'll come to, like, that's frustrating compared to step one, step three, step seven, and you're done. Absolutely. In some ways, if you were pitching a religion, you'd really want to have a religion that just has a text that tells you how to do it. <laughs> like, right. Not poetry and, you know, which all the religions actually, none of them really do have the step-by-step, -step. even if you're like, give me 10 commandments. They're like, you know, and then a bunch of other things. So. Yeah. There's something about us that wants a religion that is uh, more understandable, but we end up with one that's more like a practice, a thing you do time and time again and live and fail and, and half effort and full effort, and you kind of get there sort of eventually. 
that that can yeah. be really disorienting to to people. They're like, "Well, who, who wants a religion like that?" Absolutely, you know. And I think a lot of it comes down to how we understand the concept of truth, um, you know, and what makes the Bible true, um, you know, and worth following. You know, uh, Origen, who I quote a lot in the book, talks about um, discovering within its pages a meaning, you know, worthy of God, um, you know, and, and what makes the Bible worth reading, what makes it worth following, and yet we've been conditioned to think that. Like truth and myth are these polar opposites, right? And so if something is a myth, that it's false. And if something's true, then it happened, you know, historically and is documentable. And I, and I don't think that that's what biblical truth is about and what makes it a true guide for our lives. Um, you know, the people in, in the Hebrew Bible um, knew those stories before they were ever committed to paper or to papyrus. You know, they were oral traditions that were passed down, that were told around the campfire, that were told in the field, that were told you know, at work or at bed, at bedtime, um, they didn't experience them. Like they didn't have archeological evidence to prove the conquest of Canaan or the Exodus or, or Moses or Noah. Um, they were true to them though, because they experienced that sort of truth in their own lives. Um, and so, you know, I think from Christian day, if we're looking for the Bible to be a guide, um, then it, it's, it, it can't be a historical or a, a scientific type of guide because then we're trying to force, you know, the proverbial round uh, peg into a square hole uh, kind of thing. But if we can begin to look at the Bible in a different way and see ourselves in those stories, not as the heroes, but like just as the people of God, um, then it opens a door to imagining how the Bible can be a practical guide today. So, for example, um, in, in the book of Acts, you know, the, the disciples are told to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And, you know, those are all foreign places that a lot of us, you know, have never been to, you know, before. And it's a context that's radically different from our own. But if we look at the truth of that as something that's deeper than just the literal words on the page, um, this is Origen that I talk about in my book that I just, you know, shamelessly plagiarized from. Um, but Origen says that, you know, there's two senses to Scripture. There's the literal and then there's the deeper spiritual sense that God is trying to teach us. And if we get to the spiritual sense of a passage like that, then Jerusalem isn't just a city, you know, in the Middle East. Jerusalem is, is our hometown. Um, Judea is, is the country where we live. Samaria is those places that we don't want to go to. And then, you know, the ends of the earth are, are just that. But if we can begin to see the Bible with new eyes, then we can begin to use it in a guide that's, that's healthier. Well, we don't have to go do, you know, the old school evangelical white savior missions. You know, what we're being called to is finding ways to love our neighbors in our Jerusalem, in our cities, you know, in our immediate context that we know the needs of. We're found, we're challenged, um, you know, by Jesus himself to find ways to love and serve the needy in our Judea, in our country, in whatever ways are possible. And then especially in our Samaria, whether that Samaria is a country on the other side of the world or that neighborhood that you, you know, intentionally drive around or that neighbor that you don't want to talk to. Um, you know, each of us have, you know, Ju Jerusalem, Judea, Samarias in our lives. And so, you know, one of the big tasks or challenges that I try to present in this book is just you know, fundamentally reorienting our minds around what it means for the Bible to be true. Mm -hmm. Because if we can do that, then we can see how that truth is applicable in an inspiring, you know, let's just see what I did there, how I tied it all together. It's well, very nice. Just, just remarkable. But, it's just a magic trick of intellectual prowess. <laughs> Thank you. It's it's really amazing. I'm going to accept some awards just for that. Yeah, it's just, just very, and so natural too. I mean, greatness you, I often takes effort. You know, hey, so. uh, Zach, I, I mean, I, look, I love this conversation. I have spent lots of hours talking about the Bible. I, there's times where I feel like, um, man, I'm a little late on this. And I wonder if you feel that way too. Like maybe there was a time when people took the Bible seriously or right. felt like they should read it or felt like they should know it. And so getting this one right, well, boy, that feels, you know, that's not only, you know, pre-pandemic, that's, you know, pre-millennium. Uh, kind of kind of conversation, yeah. And I think about progressives that I know who, who thought fresh about ways of thinking about the Bible for a long time, and I go to churches where we talk about the Bible as poetry and in the ways that we're talking about it here. And people in those places don't tend to actually know the text of the Bible. One of the things that comes out of a view that says that the Bible text is really the word of God is people spend a little time with it. They really get into it, right? And they they think a lot about it and they memorize passages. Like I'm quite grateful that 
in my early days of Christianity, I was with a group that started with, let's start with 2 Timothy 3.16. You know, they weren't overly concerned about 2 Timothy 3.18, right? <laughs> you know, 3.16, maybe 17, but they shouldn't have been because there is no 2 Timothy 3.18. We all know that, right? The, the, it stops at 17 in that chapter. They don't even know or care that chapter, chapters and verses were added in later, you know, I think in the 13th right. century, so people could have better arguments about the Bible because they were getting confused about which passages they were arguing about. But at least I was from a world where people said, hey, know these passages, know these stories, like really spend some time. I read through the Bible a bunch of times. Shamefully, I haven't done it in 20 years, but I really got like, like I know the story of it. So I can like come to it and play with the pictures and pull the things or like you did so, so, you know, eloquently, you can grab Ruach phrases from the, right. the Hebrew text and then throw them into the, into the Greek text and, and be able to pull all that together. That's what kind of makes it work yeah. is that someone knows what's there. When people start with this sort of like, I don't know, it's a bunch of stories and I know a couple of things. I read some things in a kid's Bible when I was little or. God save us. They go to a church where they do the lectionary every week and you're pulling a pop phrase out of the book of, uh, you know, Leviticus and then maybe something yeah. out of a gospels and some just three random statements that have almost nothing to do with each other. Yeah. And so people are just wheeling around getting to something like God breathed is just like, oh my goodness, I don't even know what's up. Like, what do we do when the reality is that we're as you know un, unexperienced with the literature of the Bible as people were in pre-literate times, and yet we also don't have a system by which we're narrating stories with stained glass windows or I don't know some some other means by which people tell these stories. It, it really makes it tough, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it's it's become a cliche, but you know, it's hard for pastors to disciple you know, their people, you know, one or two hours a week when they're being discipled by, you know, uh, news media, right wing or left wing, um, the rest of the week, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. you're fighting an uphill battle from, from day one. And then, you know, when we also like in that one hour or two, we seem to either, you know, oscillate between, you know, let's, spend this time to talk about how, you know, your family life can get better or how you can do better at your career, you know, or, or whatever, or the other end of that spectrum is let's give you a lecture, you know, on the Hebrew and the Greek and, and all that kind of other stuff, you know, in, in either situation, the Bible becomes this, you know, kind of foreign part of your life. It either, you know, is a proof text for getting rich and happy, you know, or it's just, you know, something to make you feel like you checked something off to go to church. And so, you know, Honestly, I don't, I don't know what the right answer is to to fix that. Um, I think it begins with, you know, making a decision as as individuals of like, you know, what is the foundation of our faith? And I don't mean like confessionally in the sense of like, I believe in the Trinity or I believe, you know, God the Father, you know, that kind of stuff. But like, what is a story worth believing in? You know, who, what does a God worth following look like? And if it's Jesus, then then what does that mean? And then, you know, from there is like churches and institutions, you know, I think we have a responsibility to make the story of the people of God applicable to today's story of the people of God. You know, if, mm. if that's what the Bible is, and I think that's what it is, because it's not a book, it's not a science book, it's, you know, this, it's a collection of very different texts from de very different authors across very different times that has been put together because the people of God has said, hey, this represents our story. Well, if we can start looking at it as a living text, you know, a story that's continuing to be told, then the challenge for us is not to just, you know, unwrap the mysteries, you know, of the Bible or to like amaze people with what, you know, Ruach means or, or, or something else. But like, how are we living out the truths, like we said before, you know, of those scriptures? How are we going about, you know, being the people of God in our Jerusalem's Judeas and mm -hmm. Samaria's, you know? And so, you know, I think the challenge is, for those of us in leadership, whatever that looks like, you know, whether that's Sunday school teachers or lay leaders or pastors or, you know, talking heads like, like me, um, is or to the read talking a heads, the band, yeah. or, <laughs> oh, the, or the band, heads, um, yeah. they could put out an album about this would probably be helpful. Be awesome. um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think 
our great challenge as Christians and why I identify as progressive is, is to continually find new and creative ways to, to love and serve our neighbor. You know, I, I think of the example of uh, St. Francis of Assisi, who famously created um, scenes of the nativity using uh, Italian villages, you know, and Italian shepherds and Italian people um, because, and obviously that had, you know, long-term consequences where we end up with white baby Jesus. Um, but <laughs> in the short term, what he was trying to do 500 years ago was, yep. was show the people um, of God that this is their story too and help them see themselves in that story so that they could go out and live that story. Um, and I think that's where we fail a lot um, is that we cater too much or we focus too much on the individual. Um, and so it's either on one spectrum, again, like how are we going to make your individual life happier um, or how are we going to tickle your intellectual curiosity? Um, and we don't go about, you know, just looking at this, this basic calling. I keep using that same word, but, this basic role that we have as the image bearers and the storytellers of the people of God, you know, we've, we've inherited, you know, this, this pressure to be apologetic, not in the, 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 I did something wrong, but like Christian apologetic sense, you know, we've, we feel like we need to uh, explain our faith all the time, you know, and that this is this big technical intellectual exercise, you know, and I think honestly, just getting back, to, to the basics as cliche, you know, as that sounds is mm -hmm. instead of worrying about creating new programming or how many butts we're going to get in the seats or, you know, how elaborate, you know, our Easter ceremony is like, what are we doing for the people down the street? You know, have we fed the hungry lately? You know, like what are we just doing in very earthly practical, you know, terms for other people? And so, you know, I, I think, you know, it's about as cliche as it sounds. It's about being. It's about the fundamentals. You know, I, I talk about this in the book a lot. Um, you know, you go through and you look at the actual fundamentalist. Um, you know, when they were coining their fundamentals back in the 1910s, and they list out their their list of fundamentals: the you know, virgin birth, the inerrancy of scripture. You know, blah blah blah. And the thing that's always missing there, and the thing that's always missing in statements of faith on every church website I've ever seen is is love. Yeah, yeah, right. unreal. Like it's just it's not there, and and so I think we need to step back and ask why, and and look at love as is more than just an emotion, you know, but as a core fundamental part of what it means to be a Christian, um, is is to to pragmatically, to physically, to go out and do love, um, to love your neighbor, and, and yeah, and look, and it's something that people have had to be reminded of, right? So yeah, when, when, even when you take a something like the New Testament alone. Jesus is having to say to people, all right, put aside all the following of the rules and love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's the greatest commandment, right? Because Absolutely. that wasn't, either wasn't self-evident or needed to be reinforced. And because then, sometimes right, the rules get in the way of loving your neighbor. Like, <laughs> because it's the opposite. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I think Paul we have has to write the same thing, right? Like, hey, you can speak with the tongues of angels as, exactly. as we are here. And, but if you don't have love, you're just a clanging gong because yeah, it's not always, um, if it's self-evident, it's not always in, in practice. So even the frustration we have with like making love the point, that's yeah. also part of the deal. Like that's actually how it goes, right? That's the, so right. we have to beat ourselves up, right? This, this is the great thing about text like this historic text is you start to say, okay, this is what it means to be a human being. Like, I'm more convinced than ever that the Bible is really about how people do humaning, you know, it's yeah. human enterprise. And yeah, we're, we're going to be bad at that. So yes. let's not let that be an excuse. Let's let that be a motivator that just like the others, this is what we as human beings do. We do better at the thing we're not being very good at. And we need lots of reminders about, uh, about that. And not, and not kind of, you know, uh, wind ourselves up into like, well, how long is it going to take for us to finally get this right? Yeah, there is no getting it right. Absolutely. That's the point. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, that's something that in my own reading and, and writing this book that's, that's uh, you know, caused me to rethink some things that I, you know, assumptions that I held. Um, my apologies for the incredibly loud weed whacker that is going on right outside. Is that what window. that is? No, that's great. <laughs> I just thought it was just, you know, you had sort of a, a robotic... Uh, it's a soundtrack that I try to yeah. keep along with me. It's just, it's inspiring. It's the, the, the dull buzzing helps me think, you know, and, 
<laughs> to match the dull buzzing going on your brain. Hey, Jack, yes. I just wanted I just want to let you know I'm really glad you're not out doing your own weed whacking. That's the message oh. I'm getting from this. So uh <laughs> thank you um, for using your time for things like this and not lawn care. Yeah. Um I remember what I was gonna say. Uh Paul, um Paul talks about how we see through a mirror dimly, you know, but then we will see face to face. And for whatever reason, my head growing up, I always took that image as something more like um, a window, you know, so that Paul's saying that, oh, we can't see through this smudgy window because, you know, we're limited by human knowledge, we're limited by whatever. But, you know, that's not how mirrors work, you know, mirrors reflect back on us, you know, and if we if we look at that passage as that sort of image, as a reflection back on us, then I think that the imperfections and the fallacies and the words that people put in the mouth of God in the Bible begin to make so much more sense because that's what we still do today. I mean, that's who the people of God are. I mean, we're people that get it wrong over and over and over and over again, and yet God is there to meet us with grace and love. I mean, to me, that's why the Bible is still worth believing and worth reading, worth holding on to, is that, you know, there is freedom to well, there's not just freedom to acknowledge when the Bible gets it wrong, when the Bible, you know, says something terrible or affirms something awful like slavery or, or murdering children. But there's there's a possibility of, of good news in that of like, you know what, these people were trying to understand this as well. And they screwed up just like I screwed up. Mm -hmm. And eventually they, they figured it out and eventually got not eventually, but immediately, you know, God was there with grace and, and love to meet them even in their darkest hours. Um, and so, you know, for me, that's that's why you know, the Bible is is still worth reading and worth holding on to and worth, you know, following as a guide if, you know, we can take it on its own terms, you know, instead of just bringing, you know, our assumptions to the table um, and ignoring those realities that that are our assumptions and, you know, our predetermined beliefs. Yeah, Zach, a lot of progressives get real uncomfortable with uh, what Christians call the Old Testament. And I've noticed even uh, more conservative pastors now are sort of like Andy Stanley, I don't know if you noticed, uh, gotten some hot water for basically saying, maybe we should uh, not worry about the Old Testament. We should just read from the New Testament, just read about Jesus, maybe some Paul, and just sort of let's not even have to explain away all the genocide <laughs> and really terrible stuff. You touched on it a little bit, but why... Why is the whole Bible still compelling to you, and why not just, you know, let's just make a little book of the words of Jesus and, uh, you know, call it good? Right. Well, Thomas Jefferson did that, um, you know, in the uh, 18th century. He literally took uh, scissors and, and glue and cut out all the miracles and saved all the sayings of Jesus and created his known gospel, um, which is a fascinating story if you're a nerd and, and want to nerd out on that for a little bit. But, um I think a couple of reasons that I think that uh, the the Hebrew Bible is essential. One, Jesus does not make any sense apart from it. Um, you know, Jesus is a is a prophet in direct line with the other prophets, and all these things that he says, like you have heard it said, or um, the greatest commandment is, or I mean, these are all lifted directly from the the Hebrew Bible, from the Old Testament. You know, Jesus is not speaking in a vacuum, and neither is Paul or Peter or anyone else. And so, to understand anything in the New Testament, we have to understand where it came from. You know, in the Old Testament, um, on a personal level, I find the the prophets particularly. Um, interesting, but also relevant. You know, every time I see uh, uh, my Senator Marsha uh, Blackburn, you know, post a Bible verse, you know, or something on Sunday morning, or every time there's another mass shooting and they start sending out their thoughts and prayers, my mind immediately goes to Isaiah 1, where, you know, the people of Israel are in a similar situation where they're ignoring the injustices and pains around them, and God shows up and says, stop. I don't want your assemblies. I don't want your offerings. I'm not listening to your prayers. Your hands yeah. are full of blood. Turn and repent. I mean, if that's not relative or if that's not relevant to um, America in 2023, I, d I don't know what is. Um, and then you get to the other start, the other product. I have words. I do know words. I have all the best words. The order matters, um, though. The order matters. The biggest, most order beautiful matters. words. Um, you know, what I'm trying to do, you know, and, and this is just me borrowing from uh, uh, Origen. Origen, along with his, you know, statement about two different senses of Scripture, says that there are also stumbling blocks in Scripture, um, things that the Holy Spirit um, allowed to be there to draw us deeper. Um, and so, 
when we get stuck on the literal passages, you know, or the literal words of passages like slaves obey your masters, women be silent in the church, take your children outside, go do, do genocide or whatever, um, you know, we end up having to do all these mental gymnastics or we think we have to do all these mental gymnastics um, when, you know, it's okay. And I think Origen and I think even Paul, when he talks again about Amir Dimly, it's okay to step back and say, well, that was wrong. You know, for whatever reason, maybe it was cultural. Paul didn't understand, you know, same-sex relationships in the way that we did. Maybe there was some specific issue, you know, with women or or whatever. But you know, even the Old Testament, like we said, with with Judges, which um, Judges five may be the most uh, or the first bit of the Old Testament that was written down on paper. Um, you know, it it is it is a book devoted to the fact that the people of God said and did terrible things in the name of God. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's not a one-off occurrence, you know, and that's a really important lesson to learn um, both then and today. You know, we may not be committing genocide, but Christian nationalism isn't that far away from doing some of the things that, you know, we read about in the Old Testament. So I think it's profoundly relevant. It's, It's not, it's scary and um, it's embarrassing, but we need to embrace our embarrassments and acknowledge those things. I mean, one of the great beauties of the Bible is that it doesn't hide its dirty laundry. You know, it's a story of murderers and rapists and and sinners and liars and, and people like that, um, people like us. And so I think, you know, we do ourselves a disservice if we just mm-hmm. ignore the Old Testament Um partly because it's our story, partly because we're trying to hide dirty laundry that we shouldn't be trying to hide. And then when that happens, then we suddenly feel justified, you know, hiding the dirty laundry of sexual abuse in churches today. Um, But then also there's just lessons to be learned there. You know, the idea that we should love God and our neighbor, Jesus did not make that up. That's from Deuteronomy, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So if, and, and going back to this whole image of God breathed, if we believe indeed that we are, uh, filled with the breath of God, and we are called to share that breath like Jesus does when He breathes on His disciples. That's in Genesis, you know. So, um, you know, I, I don't know what a, a Bible would look like apart from the Old Testament. I think that there is great beauty there. I think there's great wisdom there, um, you know. And there's surprises there. Like I learned the other day via a, an episode of Thirty Rock, they were protesting outside for I don't remember what reason. Somebody held up a sign that said Ecclesiastes, I think seventeen nine, and I was like, I'm a nerd. I need to know what it mm-hmm. says. And it says, uh, "Money is the answer to everything." Yeah, it's biblical. <laughs> it's biblical. <laughs> it's biblical. <laughs> yeah, look, and and this is uh, this is a thing that tends to happen when people talk about the. Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament, is the very progressive people all of a sudden become like God said it, I believe it, that settles it, people. They're like, oh, there's genocide in the Bible. That means God justifies the genocide. Actually, the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament, is a huge debate for much of it about which is the story of God, which of the stories of God are you going to follow? And right. it's, that's why there's laws and prophets, and the prophets are saying to the lawmakers, you're following a false god. So sometimes it takes a little understanding to be like, these are warning narratives of failures, exactly. not prescriptive narratives. So sometimes when people are like, oh, God wants you to bash babies' heads in. No, that is not what it says. It says that that kind of thing is vicious and cruel, and God turns God's back on that kind of stuff. So even this, there's such, and it's true in the kind of progressive spaces too, where the Bible needs to be villainized so that it kind of explains that stuff away. So there's kind of a lack of general understanding. And then a lot of times people just get quiet and let that stuff sort of pass, you know, because you can't, you know, who wants to argue about everything all the time. And truly, you <laughs> yeah. know, I know from personal experience, nobody <laughs> likes the person who's like, um, actually what the Bible really means at that point is <laughs> yes. like that. That's a real, that's a real win, you know. Less people of a question, that. more of a comment. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> people, people love, love that person. All right. Hey, Zach, we, I, I know you have to go because you're, you're very important and you have a, a lawn to take care of, but can we borrow a couple more minutes of your time? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, there's a lot of places in the country where the Bible is not a big deal. People don't think about it. They don't talk about it. I mean, unless you're in a motel room, you may not have seen one in a long while, but then there's places like Nashville or near <laughs> where Dan lives, which is Grand Rapids, Michigan, where the Bible is a really big deal, not only as a notion in people's heads, they think a lot about it and talk about it and it carries a lot of social sway, but it's actually the places where they're produced. 
that the Bible as the industry to make it the number one selling book in the history of the world, that doesn't come without a significant amount of back end to make that possible, right? So places like like, like Nashville, I mean, that is Bible headquarters. And you made a very smart move, probably because it's local uh, hometown and you're probably feeding the pockets of your wealthy friends that own billboards. But you uh, put up billboards <laughs> in your area talking about phrases from your from from this book um, to capture the attention of people. But I thought it was brilliant because it's in Nashville, which isn't only the home of you know country music and Gibson guitars, but also the home of Bible production production from the conservative to the progressive side of the side of the Bible. So tell us about this billboard campaign that you did and, and what went up. People, if they're watching this on the video, they can see it. But some people only listen to this on audio while they're on treadmills and and uh, driving <laughs> in their vehicles, so they don't get a chance to see it. Sure. Um, well, you know, it begins with shameless uh, self promotion, um, as as most <laughs> things do. Um, Good enough. But you know, <laughs> you're trying to as you're writing a book. You know, as you know, you're, you're trying to. Uh, get through the noise, you know, of all the other books that are trying to come out. And so we're trying to try to come up with an idea, you know, that uh, connected to the book, you know, that, that was, that was from the world that, you know, I'm trying to uh, address. Um, And so, you know, we talked earlier about the Taylor Swift concerts. I I didn't go down there, but I assume because they're always there, you know, you've got the folks that are protesting with the big signs and all the list of sins and the Bible verses that, you know, prove that you're you're a sinner. Um, And the idea was to take that sort of methodology and invert it and flip it on its head and try to make it hopeful. Um, You know, we, to be fair, we did, I started off a lot more provocative, um, you know, to try to really um, get people to, perk up and pay attention because, you know, when you're, when you live in the buckle of the Bible belt, you know, you're surrounded by folks like myself who grew up going to Sunday school from day one and think that they know everything about the Bible and have it all figured out because it's as close as a family member, you know, and they do know a lot about it. And so to break through that, you really need to kind of shock the system. And so we started off with some more shocking, um, signs. Okay. Which, which ones didn't get up then? I can see three on the screen. Which is your favorite that you're like, (laughs) I know it was right to not put it up. (laughs) <laughs> but here's, here's one I would have really loved to have seen up there because the ones that are up say God didn't write the Bible, people did, and then it has a reference to a Bible passage. And and the, by the way, for people who haven't seen these, they're white billboards, giant full-size billboards, white with black big text. And what font is that? Because it's a delightful font. Do you know the font style? Are you I, into that kind I of don't. Thing? Um, I submitted one and then they kind of re- Changed uh, it, yeah. Well, it's so, great. Oh, we've Very readable font. font. Yeah. yeah. Um, you are not going to hell, one of them says with a Bible reference. And then uh, another one says, it's okay to admit the Bible is wrong. So these are these are provocative statements anywhere, but certainly provocative statements in a, in a place like Nashville. Which ones did you really want to have up that didn't? So the first one, and I knew it was a stretch, um, but it said the GOP is full of sodomites. And then it had (laughs) Ezekiel 1647 underneath it. If you you know the history of Nashville right now um, and what's been going on with our GOP-led legislature, um, and if you know the passage that I'm referring to in Ezekiel, um, Ezekiel is very clear that the the sin of Sodom was had nothing to do with sexuality, right. hetero or homo or however. The sin of Sodom was not caring for the poor and the needy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, I thought that that was a factual statement. Um, and the legal counsel of the advertising company um, gave uh. me a, quote, <laughs> hard no, that it violated their, quote, misleading and offensive policy that I did not know existed. <laughs> So that got shot down, uh, and I was really hoping that one would work because uh, the signs are right near the headquarters for the Daily Wire, um, which is Ben Shapiro and Matt Walsh and all those wonderful oh, folks. Jeez, and I, I thought we have a good conversation, you know, there um, with those sorts of signs. But um, the Bible is pro-choice. Um, that got shot down. Uh, that was Numbers 522 that describes an abortion. Um, abortion is biblical, which was just bland and straightforward, got shot down, same verse. Uh, biblical marriage is a myth, was shot down. Um, there's no such thing as biblical marriage, was shot down. Uh, huh. The Bible is not the word of God, was shot down. Um, why, why, why was the Bible is not the word of God shot down? What, what? Um, 
because I believe their legal team works for the Southern Baptist Convention is is, is kind of what I I figured out. Uh, was, the the guy, bless his heart, the salesman I worked with was wonderful and really tried to help um, yeah, you sure. know get these get these through. Um, and I'm surprised like, you are not going to hell made it through then. Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> They, they wanted like I could put question marks with things, or I could put quotation marks and really hedge them. But they just you know completely you know neutered the meaning and, and that kind of thing. But I'm I am happy with how these three came together because they really do capture the message of the book, which is that God didn't write the Bible. You know, people did, and because of that, it's okay yeah. to admit when the Bible is wrong. You're not going to hell for that. And so I liked how they you know the ultimately tied together, and and they, I like how that. I like that the they seem to have been giving people hope and and comfort um, and you know joy um, instead of you know driving down the interstate in the south where you usually see signs that say the complete opposite you are going to hell you know go to church or the devil will get you is a famous sign on I sixty five south that everybody <laughs> going to Panama City always passes yeah. so so yeah I mean it's it's part of the book but you know I wanted to get a broader you know conversation started and so I I put them right in the buckle of the Bible belt on sixty five where all the Evangelicals are driving down to the suburbs and, you know, mm -hmm. stuck in traffic. Hopefully they will uh, give them some something to think about. Have you heard from people who saw the billboards? Do you, do you know? Yeah. So, um, you know, my responses or the responses I've seen have overwhelmingly be, been positive. Um, a lot of folks, you know, thanking me for them. You know, for me, the, the thing that I love most are when, you know, my agnostic or atheist followers reach out and say, you know, how mm -hmm. grateful they are and, and that that you know, gets them to want to look into more of what I'm talking about. And I'm not trying to make converts here. You know, I'm just having conversations and to be able to even have a conversation like that is great to let people know that they are loved, that Christianity, that there's more to the story than the people down at the state house or on Fox news or wherever that like, there are people that are, are loving, kind, affirming Christians out here um, is good news, you know? And yeah. I think what, what I've seen is people experience good news, and that brings me a lot of joy. Um, there's certainly been, you know, some trolls, um, you know, but not anything abnormal. You know, the thing that's been odd um, are the folks that they get the most upset about the you are not going to hell sign, you know, and <laughs> yeah. you have you you poke and prod because that's not just the fundies like i've had you know people who would consider mm -hmm. themselves more you know centrist or even like progressive that it it kind of reveals this almost need that we have yeah. for, for hell this need for our enemies to go to hell yeah and so that opens up conversations as well or theoretically does because if hitler's you know, not in hell what's the point of any yeah. of right yeah. and and i get that you know i you know is a straight white cisgendered middle class american dude like I don't have the need for justice that, you know, someone whose family was murdered in the Holocaust does, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I, I am sensitive, you know, about that. And, but at the same time, I also don't know what the heck is going to happen after we yeah. die, you know, like that's up to Jesus. And so, you know, what I'm trying to do with this is, is give people some good news and then also give people, which is what you know my hope is for the book is is the permission and the freedom to to ask questions about the bible to ask questions about god and their faith to wrestle to doubt to push back and to even disagree in ways that they've never been allowed to do that before it's clearly struck a chord i pulled this screenshot just before we came on it's got 1.9 million views and so yeah. of a tweet this tweet yeah so yeah, the, the trick is turning that into book sales, right? So. Yeah, <laughs> no, you just, fraction you of just a fraction percent, but yeah. <laughs> but the Zach, message Zach, is clearly connecting with people, so that's really neat. Yeah. Do you regularly get 1.9 million views of your tweets? Um, you know, 1.9 views of my tweets, not not as much the million <laughs> yeah. part. Yeah, the, the millions, the part. I get <laughs> almost two, almost two views a tweet. Yeah. <laughs> so no, no, this, you know, it, it's hard to know what that number means. You know, that's something that Elon put on there, you know, a couple months ago to, but I mean, at least eyeballs, you know, have seen it um, and, you know, people pass it and they're still up, you know, they'll be up through next week. Um, the Tennessee and our local papers running a story about them this week as well. And, you know, hoping yeah. to you know, get some more press coverage for them, you know, uh, as well. It, honestly, I, the biggest response that I've had is people asking to put them up in their hometown and um, yeah, totally. I, yeah, I would love to do that. Um, you know, if, if I had you know all the money, if if I had Elon money, um, I would do that in a heartbeat. 
Well, look, we, we are big fans of billboards. We've done them too. Same kind of response. And, and there's something where people, they want progressive religious ideas and progressive love religion ideas to yeah. be as forward in the world as the alternatives are. Absolutely. And there's a lot of people who are just confused why certain people are very public about ideas and other people right. are very private about those and then complain about how there's not enough public things about the ideas that they hold to. So yeah, people really do rally. And for whatever reason, a billboard, it's just friggin' magical. If I could offer you one other suggestion, get yourself a big bus, wrap <laughs> it in that message, drive that sucker around, and you have no idea what people oh, I bet. Hey, we, we, we like to invite almost anyone we ever speak to in this format or just at a you know, at a local gas stop uh, to hop on the bus with us sometime when we get our bus rolling for other Vote Common Good efforts. So if you'd ever be up for it, it would be absolutely. I'd be honored. Be real, yeah, real that'd be great. Have you on there? Usually, it's loading and unloading the stuff. You know, staying up late, sweeping, uh, cleaning up after us. That, <laughs> that, that kind of thing. But this last tour <laughs> was literally fixing the bus that broke down like, <laughs> every couple miles. So yeah, yeah. If you so, need help packing it, I have a spiritual gift for Tetris. So oh, yeah. just, just I say love, the word. Yeah, love that. Back it up. Zach, thank you for the book. It's called God Breathed. I uh, hope it sells uh, tens of copies. And it's really <laughs> it's really good and, and helpful uh, to people. And I think it's an important conversation that is alive and well in, uh, in many uh, people's private and personal and public spaces. So it's a great, great gift. Thanks. Thanks so much for it. Thank you for having me on. It was an honor. Wow. Hmm. Well. Still be free of charge. We're not gonna. We're not gonna charge you for for the honor. It's still still really our, our gift to you, our gift to the to the to the viewers and listeners like Peggy and Jim, and Yabits and Leaf. Hey, Leaf's back again today. Good to see you again, Leaf, and uh, Mar uh, Mike. And did I get them all? Did I get them all? Did... Sometimes we raise to see who gets John G. Say, say sometimes we raise to see if someone can say a name of someone who commented. If you don't see all these comments already. It's Andrew, and because you're listening to this and not looking at it on YouTube, head over to YouTube. You can watch it there. If you're watching anywhere other than YouTube, fair enough. Good for you. But you know, if you want to help us, watch it over at YouTube. It's it's part of you know uh, hacking the algorithm. So we'd love for you to to do that and to share this widely with all your friends and family. So thanks, Zach. Thanks for being part of this. And uh, um, we're gonna we're gonna be on with uh, with an astrophysicist tomorrow. So we go from an intellectual giant like this to an astrophysicist tomorrow. So that's awesome. We, we, we do appreciate it. Thank you again for having me. I really appreciate right. it. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye now.